evidence and answers. Exodus is one of the most important events in the Old Testament. It was a time of some of the greatest period of miracles, the birth of a nation, and the giving of the law that would influence nations for centuries. The importance of the Exodus to Judaism and Christianity cannot be understated. However, most scholars believe the Exodus is folklore and not actual history. Is there historical evidence for the greatest event in the history of Israel? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our broadcast, Pat will conclude the second session of a conference he recently held with the Wailai Baptist Church in Hawaii with part two of Examining the Exodus is our host, Pat. And through the providence of God, he rises from slave to become the second most powerful man in Egypt behind the Pharaoh. And eventually, Joseph is reunited with his family and Jacob and his whole family migrate there to Egypt. And through the blessing of God, they become a great nation in Egypt. To the point where Exodus 1.8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And this king viewed foreigners, like the Hebrews, as a threat and he, to control them and their population. He forced them into slavery for several centuries. And in fact, wanted to control the population by throwing the boys, uh, young baby boys, into the Nile. Now, critics argue that this could not have happened for such a large migration and for Joseph to arise to power. Well, let's take a look at this. Now, one of the repeating themes you see in the story of the patriarchs is that there was a drought in the land of Canaan, and so Abraham went to Egypt for a while. Isaac went to Egypt for a while. Jacob eventually ends up in Egypt. You see that theme throughout the Old Testament. Now, if Usher's calendar is correct, then everything would be thrown off because the early Bronze Age and the Intermediate Bronze Age is the wettest time in the land of Canaan. All right? But if the archaeological data is correct, Abraham and the patriarchs live in the Middle Bronze Age. Okay? The Middle Bronze Age, about 2200 to 1500 BC. That's the Middle Bronze Age. Okay? And that's when the patriarchs would be alive. Probably about 1800 is when Abraham would have been around. Now, the, during the Middle Bronze Age, through the studies of climatology, pedology, that's the study of soil, geology, geography, geomorphology, paleobotany, and numerous other sciences. See, archaeology now is a huge science. It's not just guys going over there and testing things with carbon-14. Now you've got about two dozen types of scientists over there doing everything from soil study to climatology study to pottery everything to figure out what's going on and get their dates from. Now, all those studies show that during the Middle Bronze Age, okay, when Abraham was alive, 1800 to 1500, we can do study from the soils there. We know that the land of the Levant suffered from several periods of serious drought and thousands of Semites or Asiatics from Canaan migrated to Egypt. Why would they go to Egypt? Egypt generally didn't suffer from drought. Why? They have the Nile Delta. 
All right, so Asiatics would go there. Now, we know that there's drought. You know, one of the ways we know is that when you study the soil samples, where, you know, and we can see, you know, spring, summer, spring, summer, spring, I mean, it layers back for thousands of years, okay? And when you hit a particular season and it's, you don't see much dirt, but you see a whole lot of sand, you know that that's a drought period, okay? That's one of the ways that we know. And we know that during the Middle Bronze Age, during the time of the patriarchs, the Levant suffered drought. We know that through the study of the soil samples, also the settlement patterns. These cities, the population goes down. The cities are abandoned. We can tell that from the settlement patterns. And Egyptian records record numerous nomadic groups coming from Canaan as early as 1900 BC during times of famine and drought into Egypt. There was a lot of trading between Israel and Canaan. And so, of course, the Canaanites, when there's times of drought, would come down to Egypt. Now, this is confirmed when, a little over 100 years ago, we found a famous painting, the Beni Hassan painting. It's dated about 1890 BC. There it is, the Beni Hassan painting. It pictures a group of Asiatics, traders, metalsmiths, and shepherds traveling from the Levant, okay, from the Canaan area, down into Egypt. Here's a reconstruction of the full picture there. These are Asiatic nomads from Canaan with full hair, beards, and what are they wearing? Robes of many colors. That's how they dressed back then, okay? Sound familiar? Joseph received a robe of many colors. Okay, well that's what we got here in the Beni Hassan picture there in Egypt. So this would match the style of clothing worn in this period by the people of Canaan. Then we have in the 1700 BC, there's a group that migrated from Canaan. They're known as the Hyksos, all right? They migrated from Canaan into Egypt there in 1730 and they grew in number and they grew powerful to the point where they took over southern Egypt. And in fact, the 15th to 17th dynasty is known as the Hyksos dynasty. These are Canaanites who came to rule the land of Egypt. Okay, the Hyksos dynasty. Now, the term Hyksos in Egyptian means foreigners. So at this time, Egypt was divided into two nations, the northern nation and the southern. Okay, the Egyptian Egyptians were in the southern part. Okay? The foreigners, the Hyksos, came and took over the Nile Delta area. And they were the Hyksos rulers. So Hyksos shows you that Asiatic migrators did indeed migrate to Canaan. And they took over. All right? Over a hundred years, they ruled the land of Egypt and they're from Canaan. Where is Jacob and his family from? Canaan. They might have known each other the Hyksos would have readily welcomed their fellow Canaanite brothers. All right, so for them to welcome uh, Canaanites, you know, Jacob is very likely. Now, remember, the Hyksos are Canaanites. Joseph is what? He's from Canaan as well. They would have welcomed Joseph, especially with his ability to interpret the dreams. They're Canaanites. He's, he's from Canaan. 
they would have welcomed and they would have allowed Joseph to rise up to that level of power. Most likely, the story of Jacob and Joseph occurred during the rule of the Hyksos. That would be during the Middle Bronze Age. And so that's very likely. Now, this is interesting. Pharaoh Amos is ruling in southern Egypt. And he wants nothing more than to get the Hyksos, these rotten foreigners, out of Egypt. So he awaits his time, he builds his army, and guess what? In 1570, he kicks out the Hyksos. He chases them all the way back to Canaan. And he shores up the eastern border of Canaan, putting fortresses there to keep the control of the migrants from coming into Egypt. And then to control the population of the Asiatics, what does Pharaoh almost do? He enslaves the Asiatics. Okay? And it says in Exodus chapter 1, there arose in Egypt a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, who enslaved the Israelites. Interesting, huh? Everything starts coming together when you get the dates correct. Right? So, we got to get the dates right here. When did the Exodus occur? Now, we have three possible dates here. Three possible dates, okay? The first one is held by most conservative scholars, 1446 BC. I held this date for many years, okay? It's based on the passage in 1 Kings 6.1, okay, that says that Israel was in the land 480 years from the fourth year of Solomon's reign. Now, Solomon, we know, ruled from 970 BC. We're pretty solid on that. So, the fourth year would be 966 BC. 480 years prior would be 1446 BC. So, that's how we come up with the date of 1446 BC. Also, Judges 1126, Jephthah is in a dispute with the Ammonites. Okay, and he informs them that, hey, why do you guys want to fight us? We've been in the land here for over 300 years, right? Jephthah ruled Israel from 1100 BC. So 300 years, about 1400 BC, all right? So the conquest, if the exodus occurred in 1446 BC, the conquest was occurring about 1406 BC. So that's how we get the 1446 date here. Now, the vast majority of Old Testament scholars hold to the 1260 BC date, okay? They hold to this particular date. And a lot of guys who I interviewed held to this date, and I took that part out of the interview, okay? <laughs> now, the reason most archaeologists hold to this one is because in Exodus 1.1, it says that the children of Israel built the city of Python and Ramses. Now, most scholars are going to say that this Ramses refers to Ramses II, Ramses the Great, the greatest ruler of the 19th dynasty. And he ruled from 1290 to 1230 BC. So the Exodus occurred somewhere around there, probably about 1260 BC. Now, there's problems with both of these dates. Okay, both of these dates gives you a problem. First, with the late date, number one, it doesn't match the chronology of 1 Kings 6.1. It doesn't match the chronology, or from Judges. It doesn't match the chronology. Secondly, we have discovered here 
And we'll talk about this later tomorrow, the Merneptah Stila. The Merneptah Stila is dated 1210 BC. It's a fabulous stila, about uh, six feet high. It dates 1210 BC. It's put up there by Pharaoh Merneptah, the Pharaoh who followed Ramses II. Now, to be a great king of Egypt, you have to go up into the land of Canaan because the Egyptians own Canaan. You have to go up into Canaan and defeat the nine bows of Canaan. Who are the nine bows of Canaan? The nine bows of Canaan are the city-states in Canaan, the most powerful ones. They are the perennial enemies of Egypt. And every great pharaoh has to go up there every year and subdue the nine bows of Egypt. So these are the perennial enemies of Egypt that they have to go there and conquer. Now, they didn't go up there every year. They went up there every three, four years, maybe. What the Egyptians would do to control the population of it. Okay, after the Hyksos came in, right, almost kicks them out. And he says, okay, we got to slave all these Asiatics here so they don't take over like the Hyksos did. And what they would do is they would go into Canaan and raid Canaan and take the young boys and girls and bring them down and enslave them in Egypt. That's controlling the population of Canaan. They own the land of Canaan. And often what the city-states in Canaan would do is when a pharaoh died, when they found out, oh, the guy's dead, they would rebel against Egypt. And so the new pharaoh had to go up there and defeat the nine bows of Egypt. And so he lists all the nations that he defeated, and he talks about defeating Israel. He says, Israel is laid to waste, her seed is no more. Okay, so this stela is dated 1210 B.C., if the Exodus is 1260 BC, Israel wanders for 40 years in the desert. They begin the conquest in 1220 BC. And if you read the book of Joshua, it took them a long time to conquer the land and settle in the land. They never really conquered the land, but it took them a long time to settle in there. You're telling me in just a few short years, less than a decade, you become one of the most powerful perennial enemy of Egypt? Don't think so. Okay, so the Merneptah Stila rules out the late date. However, we're not in the clear yet because the early date still gives us a problem. If you had 10 plagues ravaging Egypt, you lost a lot of your economy and industry. You lost your firstborn in the last plague. You lost your army in the Red Sea. You lost your pharaoh in there as well. What would have happened to the nation of Egypt? You lost your entire slave force. You would expect a collapse in that nation. You would expect a collapse. Yet here, if the Exodus did occur in 1446 BC, the Pharaoh would be Amenhotep II. That's the golden age of Egypt. This is when they had such a mighty military, they expanded their territory from the Nile all the way to the Euphrates, and they ruled over Canaan. If the Exodus occurred there, how come when Joshua enters into Canaan, he never runs into any Egyptian? He never does. They rule all the way up to Mesopotamia. They push the Hittites and Mitanni out of the northern Levant. They push them out. They rule that whole area. So you got trouble there. Because you don't see a collapse. In fact, you see a further expansion of the nation of Israel. But wait a minute. They just lost their pharaoh. They're a diseased, ravaged land. 
All their gold is gone. The Israelites plundered them, right? Something's not adding up here. And the Jericho date, it was abandoned from 15 to 1200. So we got a problem with both dates. All right, so what do we do? Do we throw out the Bible? Just say, well, it's 1446. I don't care what the archaeology says. Throw it out. Or do we say, you know what? The archaeology says this. We throw the Bible. No, what do we do? We dialogue. We take a look at both and we see, okay, is there another possibility here? Yes. We have a third date here. That's a really strong candidate. If this is the date of the Exodus, everything falls into place suddenly like a jigsaw puzzle. You know when you find that missing piece and suddenly you're like, I got it. Everything falls into place. This is the middle date, 1406 BC. 1406 BC. Now how do we get that? Well, we have to look and see, did we interpret the Bible correctly? Now 1 Kings 6.1 says that 480 years before Solomon began building the temple in the fourth year of his reign, Israel was in the land for 480 years. However, that's according to the Masoretic text. The Masoretic text is a good copy of the Old Testament, but it's dated the 10th century AD, about 1000 AD. That's the Masoretic text from which we have our Old Testament from. That's a good copy, but there's an even older copy than the Masoretic text. Pastor uh, Matt here will tell you, it's the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was done under the reign of Ptolemy Philadelphus. It's dated 3rd century BC. It predates the Masoretic text by over a thousand years. Now, in the Septuagint, and when Paul and Jesus are quoting the Old Testament, they're quoting the Septuagint. Septuagint reads this, and it happened in the 440th year of the departure of the sons of Israel from Egypt, the fourth year in the second month when King Solomon reigned over Israel. Okay, so if you go 480 years, you end up 1446 BC. But if the Septuagint is correct, 440 years from the fourth year of Solomon's rule, you end up with 1406 BC. Okay, well, what about the uh, Exodus 12 passage? The Exodus 12 passage is the time the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. All right, so they were enslaved for 430 years. Well, if Jacob entered into Israel during the rule of the Hyksos, which is, archaeologists agree, that's when this story has got to happen. These are the rulers that would allow Joseph to rise to power and would welcome the Israelites in. All right, well, the Hyksos begin rule from 1450 BC, 430 years if they were in the land for 430 years, that'd be 1220 BC. That's way too late for the Exodus. Okay, that's way too late. Well, what solves our problem here? Once again, we go to the Septuagint, which predates the Masoretic text by a thousand years. And the Septuagint reads this. Now the residents of the sons of Israel, doing which they dwelt in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, was 430 years. So the Septuagint reads the same verse saying, 430 years represents the time from Abraham all the way to Moses. So Abraham to Jacob would be about 215 years. And the time from Jacob to the time they leave Egypt would be about 215 years. Okay, so if the Hyksos ruled, then from 1650 to 1550 BC, till they were kicked out, 
Then Jacob's sojourn occurred there, right? Joseph rose to power during the time of the Hyksos. Then they were there in slavery. Pharaoh almost rises, kicks out the Hyksos, enslaves all the Asiatics, assures his borders on the east side, enslaves the Canaanites, and reunites Egypt. Now everything is beginning to make sense here, and it's beginning to fit. Now, why are we going with the Septuagint reading? It's 3rd century BC. It predates the Masoretic text, okay, which is 10th century AD. Jesus and Paul, when they're quoting the Old Testament, they're quoting from the Septuagint. Paul states in Galatians 3, 16 and 17, he writes this, The law of God came 430 years after Abraham. Okay? So it's 430 years from Abraham to Moses. Paul is obviously quoting Exodus 12:40. He's quoting from the Septuagint. All right? And Josephus, the Jewish historian in the antiquities, he states that Jacob's migration to Egypt to the Exodus was 215 years. So if that's the case, the Exodus occurs in 1406 BC, suddenly everything just falls right into place. It's uncanny. It's uncanny how everything suddenly just falls into place in the biblical and in the archaeological world. Now, what are we looking for? Well, remember, okay, Egyptians wouldn't record such a humiliating defeat from a nation of slaves. They wrote their history to portray their pharaohs as godlike figures. Okay? And recording defeats would inspire city-states throughout Canaan to rebel against them and their enemies like Hatti and Mitanni and Assyria to come and attack and take their land. So we have to look for clues from the Egyptian records and the surrounding records. And if you get the date right, everything suddenly fits into place. Now, these are the events of the Exodus, okay? Ten plagues ravage the land. They lose their livestock. They lose their harvest, all right? They lose their firstborn. They lose the fish in the Nile. I mean, it's just ravaged the land. There's disease in the land. Pharaoh loses his army in the Sea of Reeds. Psalm 136 and Exodus 14, 28 say Pharaoh died in there as well. Okay, so the uh, movie with Charlton Heston, right, where, who's the Pharaoh again? Yul Brenner. how Yul Brenner is watching his Egyptian army go down and he takes his helmet and throws it and he goes all the way back to Egypt and he sits down, he's about to kill his wife, right? No, in, in the Psalm and, and in the Exodus, says Pharaoh died in the Red Sea as well. So you lose your Pharaoh, you lose your army, you lose your crops, you lose your slave for you. you lose a, they're plundered by the Israelites. All their gold and, and treasure is gone. The question to ask then is, what would you expect? What would you expect if that happened to the nation of Egypt? You would expect a collapse in that nation. And not just a small collapse, a massive one. Well, do we have that? If the 1406 BC date is correct, the 18th dynasty is the golden era of Egyptian rule, when Egypt rules from the Nile to the Euphrates. But suddenly, suddenly, right about this time, if 1406 is correct, the 18th dynasty collapses overnight. It completely collapses overnight. Okay, and that's what we're gonna talk about tomorrow. And we're gonna 
walk through the collapse of the 18th dynasty and who was the pharaoh of the exodus then? It had to be someone who's extremely powerful and then the whole thing collapses right after he's gone. Who could that pharaoh be? We've got one. We've got a fantastic candidate here. All right, so that's what we're going to study tomorrow when we discover who the pharaoh of the exodus was and the events of the exodus, okay? So we look forward to seeing you tomorrow and we'll finish discovering who is the pharaoh of the exodus, okay? All right, thank you very much. out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule a conference at your church or location, give him a call. In Hawaii, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Use our search engine for available resources, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucarek. <laughs>